before Ryan comes to share with us this summer, I'd ask different members of our staff to come and share God's word on Sunday night. Uh, Ryan Perkins has been serving as our student intern this summer, and he graciously volunteered to participate in our Sunday night lineup. Uh, Ryan has been a blessing. We have, um, I did not know Ryan before he came to work with us this summer and to work with our students. But uh, he has a precious spirit from God. He's a student at Washita Baptist University. Uh, he's doing well there as a student, and uh, he plays ball. as uh, a neat guy. But I have been most impressed with him in terms of his sensitivity, his walk, and his desire for God. You know, there are times where we have the privilege as a church of being there when God begins to really speak to a young person and, uh, and begins to draw them into his work, whether that's vocational ministry or serving him with all his heart and whatever God calls him to do. It really doesn't matter. It's just neat to be there and see that awakening of God's leadership in somebody's life. And, um, and I've just been blessed by Ryan. I have a passage of scripture I want to read, and before he comes and shares God's word, I'd like to pray for him. Uh, his mom and dad are here tonight also. Mr. and Ms. Mike Perkins, where are you? They're right back there. Got to meet them this morning, and uh, they're also here uh, this evening to, uh, to hear their son and what God has laid on his heart. So I ask you to give him your attention. Uh, I just want to read the scripture before I pray. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Let no one despise your youth. But be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And he has done that. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful tonight for the privilege to come together to sing your praise, to hear reports of your work in the lives of our students. And now at this moment, to hear a word that you have placed on the heart of Ryan Perkins. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would rule over the next few minutes. We pray that you would fill him with your spirit so that his mind, although I know he is prepared and he has worked hard, his mind at this moment and his heart would be fully under your directional control. Father, we pray that you would anoint him so that what he says will sink deeply into our hearts and cause us to love you more, to seek you more, to serve you more than ever before. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Ryan, come and share God's word with us. Would you all welcome Ryan? Well, uh, let, me just, let me just start off by saying really what an honor it's been to be able to be at Wynn Baptist this summer, and um, I've, I've really enjoyed every second of it. Um, and this past week at camp was a great experience to be able to be uh, with the students, and I'm looking forward to the next month to really see how God works um, both in this church and in our youth group. So let me give you the real story of, of how we got to this point. Uh, we were sitting in staff meeting at the beginning of June about a month ago and uh, scheduling who was going to be preaching throughout the summer, and uh, I was just sitting there listening and observing as good interns do. And uh, <laughs> Brother Don says to me, Ryan, you ever preached before? I said, no, sir. He said, how's July 6th sound? So uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how we got to this point. But uh, I say that also to say that, you know, I don't have 
very much experience, any experience really. So, you know, if I look at my notes a little more, if my delivery isn't great, uh, just cut me some slack and forgive me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I believe wholeheartedly that the Lord can use me um, tonight and can speak despite my deficiencies as a speaker. And uh, uh, that's what I'm praying for tonight. So um, all that I really want to do tonight is just paint as big a picture of God for you as I can and uh, just give Him the glory that He's due. So um, when I found out that I was preaching, I immediately just started thinking um, in my mind about you know, what it was that the Lord wanted me to say. And uh, I just kept praying, God, what is it that you have for me to say um, in this sermon? And I just started hearing Him say to me, just preach the gospel. Um, I would say, you know, God, I want to come up with this cool illustration. I want to do something that nobody's ever done before. And he just kept saying to me, just preach the gospel. And, um, you know, I, I kind of kept arguing with him a little bit. And I kept saying, God, I want you to leave me some awesome passage that, that nobody has seen before. And, you know, uh, he just kept saying to me, just preach the gospel. And um, so finally I was like, okay, this is what I got to do. Um, after I kept hearing him say that to me, I just started thinking to myself, what was the most foundational gospel text that I could use? And uh, I just kept being led back to John 3, and specifically John 3.16 and the story of Nicodemus. And um, I said John 3.16, some of you just probably automatically checked out, uh, because you've heard that verse since your kids in vacation Bible school, or you've seen on bumper stickers, you've seen athletes painted under their eyes during a game. Um, I would venture to say there's probably even a lot of unbelievers who could quote John 3.16 just because of how much it's really out there. Um, we, we met a guy this past week who worked for Student Life, and he was from Colorado, and uh, he was around, from around the Colorado Springs area. And uh, where he was from, Pikes Peak was literally just right in his backyard. So he could look out his back window and see this 14,000-foot-tall masterpiece. And... Uh, as he got older, he said it kind of lost some of its luster because of how much he saw it. And, uh, you know, Pikes Peak wasn't getting any smaller and it wasn't getting any less beautiful, but he just got used to it being there and he took it for granted. So uh, when it came time for him to go to college, he went to a college that was about six hours away from home. And he said that it took him returning home as, as a weary traveler after a long journey to realize the beauty and the majesty of what had been there all along. And in a way, I think that's kind of how the church has become with John 3.16. Um, because of how often we see it, we've kind of grown callous to it. And, uh, and it's really one of the greatest statements and greatest promises that's ever been made. So in many ways, we're, we're like that guy that we met at camp. You know, because we're, we're tired and weary. Whatever we have going on in our lives is different for everybody. But um, whatever's going on, we're tired and we're weary. So let's just return home tonight. And I just want us to see the beauty of this passage as if we're seeing it again for the first time. Um, my prayer tonight is that, is that you would see these verses maybe in a way that you haven't um, in a long time. And for the believers in the room, my prayer is just that, you know, your passion would just be reignited, that you would be reminded of the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And um, for those in the room who aren't believers, my prayer is just that you would see God's power and His love for you and how He pursues you and, um, and respond to His call to believe in Him and, and be born again like Jesus is going to talk about in this passage. So um, if y'all would turn with me to John chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 1. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a great ruler of the Jews. Okay, so what, what we established in this first verse 
is that there's this guy named Nicodemus, and he's a Pharisee. He's smart. He's educated. Um, he has power, and he knows the Scriptures in the Old Testament law. That's something that's true um, for every member of the Pharisees. But, but something that's different about Nicodemus is that he's seeking something more. And uh, something more than just following the laws of the Old Testament and the laws uh, of Moses. He realizes that there's more to life than just not breaking laws. And, and that might be some of you who are here tonight. You, you've been in church. You know all the right things to say. You've been in Sunday school. You memorize verses. And, and you're looking for something more. So, so Nicodemus has all this knowledge. Every law that, that the Jewish people had, he knew by heart. And, and yet he realizes that there's got to be something more than this. So he comes to Jesus. And, and like I said, some of you may be in that exact same boat. You, you've done everything that you can to, uh, to find happiness and fulfillment in life. And you, you tried everything that there is to try. And now it's just time for you to follow the lead of Nicodemus and come to Jesus. So let's pick back up in verse 2. Um, it says, This man came to Jesus by night, said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So basically what Nicodemus is saying to Jesus here, he's saying, I've seen the things you've been doing, and I admire your work. He's giving him a compliment. And, and he's kind of trying to make small talk with Jesus here. And, and I love Jesus' response to his compliment. Verse 3 says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When you really look at that part of the passage, you can almost kind of feel the awkwardness in this situation. Nicodemus comes in and he gives Jesus a compliment. And, and he's telling him that he thinks he's a great teacher. And what he probably expects is for Jesus to give him a compliment uh, in return or say something nice to him. Um, but I love this about Jesus. He skips the small talk and he gets straight to the heart of Nicodemus's issue. And his issue is the same as every human being that's ever walked the face of the earth regardless of race or background or education level, everybody's need is the same. And that issue is that we're, sin we're sinners in need of a Savior. That's the part that I think we leave out a lot when we're talking about John 3.16. It's that the context of this passage shows every human being is in need of somebody to save us from our sin. So in order for the gospel to be good news, it's got to invade dark spaces. And uh, Matt Papa, as Dustin mentioned, uh, was a worship leader at our camp this past week, and I love this quote that he made about the gospel. He said, The reason that we yawn at the gospel is because we start with God loves you when the real gospel starts with God is holy and you are irreparably sinful. So this didn't start when Nicodemus walked through the door, and it didn't start at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It didn't even start when Jesus was born. Um, kind of what Matt Papa is getting at in that quote is that if we want to have a full and complete understanding of the gospel, we've got to go all the way back to the garden and the root of the problem, and that problem is sin. Um, and, and as we continue to, we start with Adam and Eve, as we continue to go down the line in the Old Testament, um, we see people who are constantly worshiping idols and, and substituting gods that they have created for the God that created them. And um, I think we still do this to this day. It may not be idols, obviously. We aren't worshiping statues, but we worship things like, like sports, and we worship things like comfort and money. And um, we're all sinners by nature, and we're all sinners by choice. And because of that, there's this divide between us, um, between us and God that can't be bridged by, by doing good deeds like Nicodemus was trying to do. Can't be bridged by just following rules, because we're always going to fall short. And that's kind of what, what Jesus was trying to show Nicodemus here. So, just something I want you to think about. 
Um, when two men are standing at the base of Mount Everest, they aren't arguing about who's taller. They're simply in awe of what's before them. And, and in that same way, when we have a real encounter with the glory and the awesomeness of God, we shouldn't look at somebody else and say, well, I'm better than that person. We shouldn't look at somebody else and say, man, I wish I could be as good as that person. The gospel of Jesus frees us from that. Um, it frees us from comparison to others because of what he's telling Nicodemus right here. Everybody's on a level playing field because everybody has the same problem. And, and everyone's need is the same. And Nicodemus's problem was, was the same as tax collectors. It was the same as prostitutes. It was the same as the poor. And it's the same as you and it's the same as me. And that problem is that we're separated from God and we're in need of a Savior. So we've established who we are. We're simple beyond human repair. We're separated from God and we're in need of someone to save us. So now let's skip down to verse 16. Um, Jesus has explained to Nicodemus that he needs to be born again. And he's explained he's not talking about actually entering back into his mother's womb, but he's talking about a spiritual rebirth and having new life spiritually. But now he's kind of getting to the climax of this conversation uh, with Nicodemus where he's about to tell him how he can be born again. And, and now we're at this famous verse that we've all kind of grown callous to. And uh, in verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So I gave you all a quote earlier from, from Matt Papa talking about why we yawn at the gospel. And now I want to give you the rest of the quote. He says, Many have heard Jesus loves you and Jesus died for you their whole life and have never heard the gospel since they have never heard God is holy. Many of us don't want to talk about God's holiness today because we don't want to be a killjoy. So we kill real joy by removing transcendence. So what does he mean by transcendence here? Transcendence is simply talking about going beyond ordinary limits. Um, being superior or being supreme. So uh, basically God is not bound by any human limits. And he's not bound by time because he's always been and he always will be. He's not bound by space because he's omnipresent. And, and I don't want to leave out that part of the gospel today. So, so let's talk about that second word of this verse. Let's talk about, let's talk about God and, and specifically how big he is, how powerful he is, and how transcendent he really is. So how big is he? Why in, why in Romans 11 does Paul, who's not typically known for his poetry, just bust out into this song and say, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. What makes this, what makes this rough, tough dude, tent maker, bust out into this song like that? Well, I think we need to look at creation for a minute to, to figure that out. So God is so powerful that he created the universe with just his words. All he had to do was utter the word light, and there was light. All he had to do was utter the word birds, and there was birds. All he had to do was utter the word water, and there was water. All he had to do was utter words, and everything was. He literally created everything out of nothing. And that's hard for me to even think about, because I can't even remember where I put my car keys in the morning, much less think about the knowledge that it takes to, to create life out of nothingness. Um, Matt Chandler, who's one of my favorite pastors, says this about the knowledge of God. How deep is the wisdom and knowledge of God? God knows every word and every language and every sentence and every paragraph and every chapter and every book ever written. He knows every fact of history, past and future, every bit of truth discovered and undiscovered, and every proof of science, known and unknown. How great is this God that we serve? Now sometimes we think about creation and we only think about things on earth. We only think about um, you know, things that are here that we can see. 
But God created not just Earth, not just our solar system, not just you know, the Milky Way galaxy, but He created the entire universe out of nothing. And His creation is so big and so massive and expansive that it almost hurts our brains to think about. But um, just to give you a little bit of a picture about how big God is, just imagine with me for a second, use your imaginations, um, that, we could, that we could get on a jet that was traveling 600 miles an hour. Um, and we're flying 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, around the clock. Um, and, and let's pretend like we're flying through our solar system. It would take us 16 and a half days to get to the moon. Okay, that's, that's not bad. It would take us 17 years to pass the sun, so we're getting a little bit greater distance here. And it would take us 700 years to get to Pluto. That's, that's 24-7, 365 days a year traveling around the clock, seven centuries, and we wouldn't have even left our solar system, much less started venturing into other galaxies and, and things like that. And, and that's the God that we serve. The God that created this massive and expansive universe is the same God that so loved the world, and it's the same God that so loved Nicodemus, and it's the same God that so loves you, and the same God that so loves me. Does that not just, it blows my mind when I think about it. That, that he has the power to create all this beauty out of nothing, and yet he still desires to know me in an intimate and personal way, that, that changes things for me. So let's focus on the word love now. Um, we talked about God. We've seen just, just a glimpse of, of how deep his wisdom and knowledge go. And we looked at, um, we looked at uh, how our condition, sinful condition. So now let's look at, at what it means when Jesus says that God so loved the world. Um, the book of Hosea in the Old Testament kind of gives us a picture of God's love for us. And to be honest, I haven't ever, had never read Hosea until I started preparing for this message. Um, I'm like, how have I never seen this before? Because it's just one of the coolest pictures of Jesus' love that I've ever seen. And, and the parallels between the two are, are pretty amazing. So Hosea actually comes from the same verb as Joshua and Jesus, which means to save or to deliver. And God tells Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. Which, by the way, just a side note, um, let's stay away from the name Gomer. Um, <laughs> seems like you might be kind of setting her up for failure. That's just, a, that's just my opinion. There's a lot of names out there, but let's steer clear of Gomer. Um, but, but this woman is unfaithful to Hosea, and she's a promiscuous woman. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, we kind of see God saying, this is just a summary, but we see God saying, I want you to love her anyway. He tells Hosea to love Gomer just as he loves his people. That's the type of love that Jesus is talking about in John 3.16. The Greek term for it is agape love. and This type of love is less of, of an affection kind of feeling, and it's more of a decision. Agape love, agape love says, I know you're going to betray me. I know you're going to make mistakes. I know you're going to be unfaithful. I know you're not always going to worship me, but I still love you. Much of the love that we have as human beings for one another is, is a works-based um, type of love. And we love people based on how good they are to us. It's conditional. But, but that's not how God's love, that's not how agape love works. It's less of a ooey-gooey, emotional-type feeling. And it's more of an action. So what action did God perform to prove His love for us? He gave His only begotten Son. You don't have to try to win God's love by doing all the right things because you already have it. 
He doesn't love some, some future better version of you, but He loves you right now where you are with all your sin and problems and with all your baggage. And I'm so glad that God's love for us is not just a feeling that He has towards us that based, that's based on works. It's based on our goodness, but it's a decision that He's going to love us despite of us. So, um, let's see. We've established, uh, we've established who we are before Christ. And we've established just a little bit of who God is. We've established the type of love that He has for us. So now we have the invitation and we have the promise. It says that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. And when Jesus says this, I can kind of imagine the look on Nicodemus' face. He must have been like, are you serious? You're telling me that all that I have to do is believe. Nicodemus has been working hard his whole life to try to please God and gain favor with him by trying to keep the law. And Jesus tells him to just believe. And you have to think that Nicodemus was saying it can't be that easy. Surely, surely there's something more that I have to do. And that, that may be some of you that are in here today. Um, it's how I was for a long time. And I tried to follow all the rules out of, out of this idea that, that I just needed to do better and to try hard. And that somehow I might earn the affection and the approval of God by doing good works. And if that's you in here today, can I just kind of be blunt and say stop trying? You don't have to do good works to get to God because the work has already been done on the cross with Christ. Jesus says in this verse that we're not going to fix ourselves, so stop trying to do it on our own. The only way that we're going to get rid of an addiction or a sin problem in our life is not by trying harder. It's by surrendering to the one who took all our addictions and all our sin and all our shame on him on the cross. Some people say, some people have this idea that, uh, that Christianity is just a crutch um, for weak people, for weak-minded people. And what I have to say to them is that I need a whole lot more than a crutch because I'm not just weak and crippled. Without Jesus, I'm dead in my sin. I'm, just, I'm not just drowning in my sin at the surface level. I'm at the bottom of the ocean with no life in me at all until Jesus comes in and scoops me up and gives me new life. When I'm dead at the bottom of the ocean, I'm not going to swim my way out. Jesus doesn't call us to try harder. He just calls us to believe. And now for the promise. So we made it through all the tough stuff, and we get to talk about the promise. Jesus says that the God of the universe loved us so much that he sent Jesus to save us from our sin. And his promise that if we believe and surrender to him, we will not perish but have eternal life. Now, perish is obviously, here it's not talking about a, an earthly um, perishing because unless the Lord comes back, we're all going to die at some point. But perishing here is talking about an eternal type of perishing where we're separated from God forever. And a lot of people wanted to get into this discussion um, about how terrible hell is going to be and you know different levels of hell and things like that. But the worst part of hell is going to be that God isn't there. The best part about heaven on the flip side of that coin is going to be that God is there and we can worship Him forever like we were created to do. So, so God has taken away our sin and He's justified us when we believe. And Second um, Corinthians 5.21, you don't have to turn there, I'll just, I'll just read it for you. It says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus knew no sin at all, and he became sin, and we knew no righteousness. And because of what Christ did on the cross, now when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of God. Because of that, we get to spend eternity in the presence of God in heaven. That's the great reward for those who believe in him. 
He knows that, that life for believers on earth is going to be tough, and he knows there's going to be times when we're tempted, and we feel like giving up. And um, what he's saying here is that his promise shows us that, we are, that our reward is eternal life. We're not focused on this life. We can live with an eternal perspective because of what Christ did on the cross. We see here on earth, um, we see God's glory in small glimpses. Um, but then, when we're in heaven, we'll see face to face. Jonathan Edwards says that God is the highest good of the reasonable creature. The enjoyment of Him is our proper and only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Better than fathers and mothers, husbands, wives, children, or the company of any or all earthly friends. These are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. So nothing that's here on earth could ever compare to the glory of being in the presence of God, and that's what he offers us if we simply believe. Um, I think in this passage that it's interesting we don't see right away what Nicodemus' decision was. Later on in John's Gospel, we see that he does decide to follow Jesus, and he's there when Jesus is crucified. But a decision has to be made after what Jesus confronted him with. He just told him that God loved him, and he told him that he was sent from God. And when we have an encounter with God, we're forced to make a decision. Some of you in the room may identify with Nicodemus. We kind of already talked about that. And you, you may feel like you've been trying to gain God's approval through trying to do all the right things. Some of you may be the exact opposite of Nicodemus, and you're just in open rebellion, and you know it, and you don't care. And there are a bunch of other different situations that could be the case for people in a room this size, but whatever your situation is, Jesus says that whoever believes in him will spend eternity with him. And it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your education level is, or what your story is, or what your background is, ultimately we all have the same problem, and that's that our sin has separated us from God. But out of love, God gave His Son so that we could be saved from sin and have fellowship with Him. So, just as we see that Nicodemus had to make a decision about who Jesus was, we have to make that decision too. At, at camp this past week, our theme was, Who do you say that I am? And it comes from the passage in Mark chapter 8 where Jesus is talking to His disciples. And uh, he, he asks Him, uh, Who are the people saying that I am? And you know, they say He's a prophet. They say He's Elijah. He's, he's a great teacher. Um, but, and he asks him, who do you say that I am? And Peter, being who he is, being loud and outspoken, Peter, he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And if we believe tonight that that's who Jesus is, then our lives are going to be different. Some of you in here are believers tonight, and hope that if nothing else, what I've said has just kind of served to to refuel your passion for the gospel, to remind you of what God's done for us and remind us of His goodness. But a decision has to be made when we're confronted with the gospel. C.S. Lewis says that Christianity, if false, is of no importance. If true, of infinite importance. The only thing that it cannot be is moderately important. In other words, this is one of those issues that we can't straddle the fence on. Um... As for me, for myself, um, I believe that God's word is true and that Jesus was the Son of God and that following Him is of infinite importance. But, but this is not a decision 
that, that I can make for you. It's not a decision that Brother Don can make for you or Dustin or even your parents. This is a decision that you have to decide for yourself. So um, that's, that's what I want to leave you with tonight is that question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Who do you say that Jesus is? Pray with me, please. Dear God, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for um, the work of Christ on the cross, God. We thank you that he saved us from our sin. And uh, God, I just pray that if you're speaking to anybody tonight, if, you're, if you are uh, landing on somebody's heart to make a decision, I pray that they would just be bold and courageous, God. And Lord, I, I just thank you for the opportunity to preach your word tonight, God. And I thank you for the opportunity to gather with, uh, with other believers, Lord. And uh, I just pray that as we go out from this place this week, that we would just glorify you in everything that we do. And it's your name I pray. Amen.